The first of my posts to the Facebook group was a focused summary of Part 3 of Bull de Suif. The nobles decide they will persuade Bull de Suif to surrender herself to their captor, and their scheming is done with a thin veneer of modesty and in a spirit of gaiety. They settle on a plan of campaign, complete with coordinated stratagems and surprise attacks that, quote, were to reduce this human citadel and force it to receive the enemy within its walls, unquote. At breakfast, the ladies soften her up with pleasantries, and then the insidious assault begins. They open a vague and very convenient conversation about the virtue of sacrifice, citing stories, true or not, of women arresting the progress of conquerors with the surrender of their bodies, until, quote, a listener would have thought at last that the one role of woman on earth was a perpetual sacrifice of her person, a continual abandonment of herself to the caprices of a hostile soldiery, unquote. Over the course of the afternoon, they subtly degrade her with the informal address of Mademoiselle, to wear down any possible resistance to the evening's ambush. At dinner, the countess begins to question the nuns, who had until then been silent, about whether it is true that, quote, the Church readily pardons such deeds when they are accomplished for the glory of God or the good of mankind, unquote. The old nun makes a fervent speech about the lives of the saints and sacrifice and obedience to divine order, the theme of which is that, quote, an action reprehensible in itself often derives merit from the thought which inspires it, unquote. Or, the end justifies the means. And lest the nobility of their ends be at all unclear, she adds a detailed and tragic description of the wretched invalids suffering terrible maladies, of men dying who would have otherwise been saved, while she and her companion are detained from coming to their aid. The Count employs a few more tactics for good measure, talking to Bull de Suif in a familiar and paternal tone, reminding her that the request made by the officer is one she has consented to countless times before, making pretty and tender speeches, and closing his remarks with manifest flattery. Bull de Suif returns to her room, and having manipulated her in such a calculating manner, they all suffer terrible anxiety about the awkwardness to them should she resist. But they need not worry long. The innkeeper comes in and whispers assurances to the Count. And unburdened by their anxiety, they heave a collective sigh of relief, their faces light up with joy, and they have a party. They drink champagne and toast, not to Boule de Suif's sacrifice, but to their own deliverance. They engage in merry talk, make jokes in bad taste, and lament their lack of a piano for dancing. The only one who does not participate in the revelry is Cornudet. But, having stood aside silently through the assaults, the most he can summon now is a soapbox declaration that they have done an infamous thing. Momentarily disconcerted, they are all greatly relieved, and even amused, when Loiseau points out that they can dismiss his accusation as nothing more than an explosion of jealous outrage. She, after all, had refused him. 
The next morning, Boldesweef appears. She has nobly made the surrender of her person and endured the reprehensible means to the allegedly glorious end. And for her sacrifice, she is met with uniform insolence. At best, she is snubbed, and at worst, abused. They board the carriage. Three hours into their journey, they are hungry and propose to unpack their provisions. Boldesweef, in the haste of her departure, hasn't brought any. The nobles proceed to gorge on their cold veal, game pies, and gruyere cheese. Cornudet devours his hard-boiled eggs. The nuns eat from their hunks of sausage, and when they are satisfied, wrap the remainders in paper. Quote, no one looked at her. No one thought of her. Unquote. Boule de Suif, recalling with bitter irony her generosity on the trip from Rouen, tries to swallow the sobs which choke her, and outraged tears stream down her cheeks. Cornudet takes in the scene and, quote, like a man who had just thought of a good joke, unquote, begins to whistle and then to sing the Marseillaise. Quote, and Boule de Suif still wept and sometimes a sob she could not restrain was heard in the darkness between two verses of the song. Unquote. The second of my posts to the Facebook group was called Maupassant the Man. Years ago, in preparation for a summer course I gave called Gems of Short Fiction that would include Boule de Suif, I did some research into the life of Maupassant. In so doing, I discovered that an author's biography can often provide insights and anecdotes that enhance your understanding of his work. But a word of forewarning. Even with the vast, fingertip-ready resource of the Internet, it takes work. I usually have to do labored excavation through tediously written dissertations, overly comprehensive tomes, and postmodern distortions. When I have the opportunity, I'll try to do some of that slogging for you, to get to the stories that really mean something. Here are some stories that meant something to me about Maupassant. One quick caveat before I begin. I did a poor job when I gave that course of recording my sources, and though I trust the soundness of my research standards at the time, I've had a difficult time confirming some of these stories. First, I learned that Maupassant served as a volunteer in the Franco-Prussian War, and observed firsthand both the cowardly retreats and the acts of heroism that inspired Boule de Suif. In fact, the story is supposedly based on an incident in the life of real-life prostitute Adrienne Legay. Though I read somewhere that Legay protested that he got it all wrong, said it was revenge for her refusal, and lamented that had she known he would become such a celebrity, she wouldn't have refused him. I also learned that Maupassant was among a group of naturalist writers who assembled on weekends at the home of Zola in Maidan. Zola proposed that they each contribute a story with the backdrop of war that challenged approved patriotic views. These stories were published together as the collection Les Soirées de Maidan, and Maupassant's contribution, Boule de Suif, was universally regarded as the best. Flaubert declared it an enduring masterpiece. I read stories that revealed Maupassant's attitude toward organized religion. 
At the age of 13, he was sent to a seminary school in Eve Tote for his education. He was apparently expelled from the school for writing a poem to a young lady that contained incitement to fleshly sin, and for stealing the keys to the school's wine cellar and taking their best brandy for a party on the roof. He said later, quote, Even as a small boy, religious rites and ceremonies offended me. I could only see their ridiculous side. Unquote. He certainly seems to find the nuns' devouring faith and their moral hypocrisy ridiculous. I read stories that revealed his attitude toward love and sex. In a description of the statue of Venus of Syracuse from his book African Wanderings, Maupassant says, quote, She represents woman as she really is, the woman whom we love, desire, and wish to embrace. She is plump, with powerful hips and bosom, and rather heavy legs, a carnal Venus of whom one dreams of lying down on seeing her standing. She has no head. That makes no difference. The symbol is more complete. It is a woman's body, only a body, which expresses the real poetry of love. Unquote. He called sentimental love the hypocrisy of copulation. He died at the age of 43 in a mental institution after suffering from dementia brought on by syphilis. I read stories that revealed his attitude toward life in general. In justifying his story's focus on members of the lower class, he said, quote, What principally distinguishes people in society from simpler individuals is mainly a sort of veneer of conventions, a layer of complicated hypocrisy, unquote. Critic Albert Wolf placed him among the literary sewer cleaners. Maupassant looked to the sewers because though he might find misery, he thought he would at least find honesty. He was deeply cynical, saying, quote, I feel a vast scattering of all living beings, the burden of emptiness. And in the midst of this retreat of everything, my brain works lucidly, precisely, dazzling me with the eternal nothing. Unquote. A man of despair, emptiness, cynicism, carnal desires, an eye to the gutters, and a contempt for the pretenses of love and religion, and a masterful ability to write about it all. This all makes sense as a description of the man who would pen Boule de Suif. And after that description, I suppose I owe you an explanation of why I have said I absolutely love this story. So, the third of my posts to the Facebook group was Why I Love Boule de Suif. For many reasons. I myself do not share Maupassant's ideas about the world. But while I think some authors have been helpful in showing me what to think, a far greater number have been helpful, and continue to be helpful, in showing me how to think. Maupassant is one of them. Whether or not I approve wholly of his answers, he raises important questions about the true meaning of courage under an occupation, about the extent to which moral worth correlates with social stature, about religion and patriotism and hypocrisy and sacrifice and war. And whether or not I approve wholly of his answers, within them are penetrating observations, sound insights, 
and undeniable truths. We readers, and other authors, might see behind the evil face of moral hypocrisy a different source than the one pointed to by Maupassant. Yet at the same time, we can share his contempt for hypocrisy, and applaud his efforts to find its source. Also, to the extent my conclusions differ from those of Maupassant, striving for a deep understanding of his better informs my own. If I were to immerse myself in a literary echo chamber, I would deprive myself of exposure to ideas that help me to grow. And Boule de Suif is a story that takes ideas seriously. It is a powerful, poignant, dramatic, and viscerally fleshed-out presentation of an idea. That very fact helps me to take ideas seriously in the same way. I think the central idea of Boule de Suif is something like the moral hypocrisy of the allegedly respectable members of society. He takes representatives of nobility, religion, and political idealism, and shows that theirs is a mere veneer of virtue. Meaningful moral goodness is to be found in someone who occupies society's lowest stratum, a prostitute. It is hard for me to imagine that idea being presented in a more powerful way. I imagine Maupassant hearing the Marseillaise, contemplating its theme of tyranny, despotism, and slavery, and wanting to create a story that gives emotional reality to the suffering of the oppressed. So he makes powerfully real to us the bitter, hateful cruelty endured by Boule de Suif. And perhaps every time we hear the Marseillaise, we will also hear, between the verses, her choked sobs.